What's up, y'all, and welcome to Tales from the Band Room podcast. I'm Dr. Jack Eady, a 19-year educator, and I've built strong programs in urban schools. I'm so proud of what we're able to accomplish in spite of the obstacles many of my students faced, and I want to share my story to help others face in similar situations. So I created this podcast to share tools and strategies I've learned during my career. Each week, the episodes will be real, raw, with a touch of crazy, but it's what I use to motivate and get the best out of my students. Thanks for listening. Now let's go. Welcome to episode three. I am so glad you're back. Today, we have three dynamic individuals, and I'm so excited to share them with you today. We had such good conversations that we're going to do this episode in two parts. You're really, really, really going to love what they have to say. So with that being said, let's get started with part one. How's everybody doing? Good, man. Good, man. Good. I mean, yeah, definitely good. Doing well. And today we're going to be talking about building cultures in the band program. We have three amazing band directors here on the podcast today. So I want y'all to welcome Wilson Gustama, Dexter Bailey, and Mario Ford. What up? Proud remorse. <laughs> so in a paragraph, Mario, tell us about your life. So born and raised in Savannah, Georgia. Um, tenor saxophone player. Well, saxophone player, primarily tenor saxophone. I did my undergraduate degree at Bethune-Cookman University, majoring in music education, did my master's at Florida State University, um, also majoring in music education, and I've this is year 11 with Orange County Public Schools 11. in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. This is year 11. Oh, so I've taught um, middle school for four years and then high school for the rest of it. This is my third school now. Currently, the director of bands at Evans High School in my fourth year at Evans. And I can say I'm proud of, I, I would come by Mario's school and turn all his chairs around. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jack was, listen, I'm not gonna, I ain't going to put you out to all your listeners. But, uh, right. <laughs> 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 Jack Edie, I tell you, boy, having Jack Edie coming to your band room when you're there and when you're not there is <laughs> amazing things happen. <laughs> all type of things happen. That's a true story. Jack came in and turned all the chairs around. While oh, I was oh, I can believe it. <laughs> like it was still neat and nice. It wasn't messy. You didn't even know. You had to really look. Like it was perfect concert arts. They just were all facing backwards. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, the memories. Oh boy. All right, Dex, tell us about you. All right. Dexter Bailey, veteran Decatur, Georgia. Uh got my uh got my bachelor's in bachelor of arts in music education from Bethune Cookman University. And received my master's in music education from Boston University. Uh, trumpet is my principal instrument. Uh, definitely play piano and trombone just as much. Been teaching for, laughing at Mario, 
He said 11. I've been teaching 13 years, wow. and all with uh, Fulton County Schools in, in uh, the metro Atlanta area. This is my fourth year at Creekside High School as the director of bands. And prior to that position, I spent nine years at Bear Creek Middle School, which is theater to Creekside. So uh, love what I do. Glad to be here tonight. We're on four years together, Des. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and Wilson. All right. Wilson Gustama, born in Brooklyn, New York. Of course. Yeah. I'm where sorry. I'm <laughs> from Florida. <laughs> hold on now. Hold on now. Let's, where I lived there for 10 years, which is a decade. Oh, I remember. I remember New York. Then I moved to Orlando, Florida, where I went to Robinson Middle School. Band director was Bernie Hendricks. Then I went on to where Mario is now. I am a alumnus of Maynard Evans High School in Orlando. Then I got my music ed degree, my bachelor's from Bethune-Cookman University. I got my master's in music ed from Florida State University. And I got my educational specialist degree in music education from Piedmont College. This is year seven for me. I did two years as the assistant director of bands at Stevenson High School. And I'm currently in my fifth year at Dutchtown High School in Hampton, Georgia, Henry County, Georgia. All right, all right, all right. That's awesome. So thank you guys so much for uh, being here tonight. And before we get into some of the questions, like how, how's things going in, in life? Well, basically, how are things going in these COVID streets? Like how, how, how does it feel in Orlando? Does it feel like people even care? What's going on, Wilson? Well, I'm in Atlanta, so um, everyone's in the club and in, uh, at lounges. And, <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, the schools are, are mostly hybrid, you know, from what I'm hearing from folk. Uh, my school in particular, we are doing the hybrid model, even though like there's like only 100 kids on campus. Um, but other than that, if you just talk about driving around town to me, I mean, you see people taking precautions, you see masks. Um, it just depends on what area you're in. Some areas you're gonna see masks, you're gonna see social distancing, and then some areas where, you know, I'm not gonna be scared or by this and blah blah blah. Trump 2020, <laughs> but folks are different. So <laughs> they believe what they believe. What about for you, Dex? I mean, well, I'm in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta as well. For me, I wouldn't know what's going on in the COVID streets because I ain't in them. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all stay over there with that. It's a lot of people out here that are not sure of of what to believe. And and like you said, some people are just going to, you know, be on the safe side, take precaution. You got some people, you know, we're in the South. Some people, you know, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Just let him do what he's going to do. And uh, you got a little bit of everything. Then you got the rebellious folks. So it's been kind of cool for me. I'm I'm probably considered an extra uh, extroverted introvert, so this has been kind of cool for me. I ain't tripping. <laughs> mm. How about you, Mario? Uh, it's, it's interesting, man. I went out, um, so this past weekend was Florida Classic, or would have been Florida Classic weekend. Um, and so for people who are unfamiliar with Florida Classic, it's a rivalry football game between Bethune Cook University and Florida A&M uh, University, and it normally happens here in Orlando. And so along with the football game, there's always a ton of events and it's really big for the nightlife in Orlando. And so I think I hadn't really been going out or anything since COVID, you know, but now, you know, everybody's some people still came to town. The game was canceled and everything, but 
Some people still came to town and were going out. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to go out, you know, to a bar, you know, sit out on the patio or something like that. People looked at you weird if you had on the mask. What? It was that. Yes. Man. Like, it was, you know, like you feel awkward. Like, okay, everybody look at me, you know, like I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I will say, I went to Tallahassee about a month ago. And I stopped at a gas station. I had my mask on. And they were looking at me like I was from another planet. Might be a- <laughs> uh, what is crazy? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So is that. I went to Savannah um, maybe a little more than a month ago. Savannah, Georgia, where I'm from. And um, it was kind of the same thing. Like a lot of people were just looking at you weird. Like, what's that thing on your face? You know? So it's real in some places. In other places, man, you know, it's life is normal. I'm glad kind of where where I am, it's everyone's wearing masks and you don't see you don't see those kind of things. So that's mm-hmm. that's interesting. And that's interesting. You talked about the, the classic man. How uh what what's y'all favorite classic memory? Mm. Ooh, oh, I can answer that one. I'll let the old heads go first. My favorite classic memory was 07 because that was the year that we officially <laughs> turned the university. And I'm telling you. Mm. When we perform at the classic, we perform at the classic, and that was during the the record breaking street, you know, with 70,000 people, you know, Mm -hmm. the big big sponsorship was still there, teams were doing well. But when you play Let's Go Wildcats in that stadium, it's it's deafening and it's all, and it's weird to hear the delay echo when they're chanting from the stadium. Oh, yes. But there is nothing louder that I've ever heard in a, in a band performance than the crowd response for us changing the C in the formation to the U. And I solely think that that was it. It was because it wasn't just the Thune people. You know, that was just a moment for everybody. You know, for everybody was excited. Yeah, I couldn't. Nice. I couldn't. I couldn't hear myself playing on the field. I couldn't hear the person behind me because it was so loud. Man, that's kind. That was like, and it was my last year. What a way to go out. So that was mm-hmm. one of my most memorable uh, classic moments for me, man. Hands down. Yeah, um, man. I, I think for me, it might have been the 2009 classic. And I, we would, that, that clip has been a lot of conversation over the week as we led into classic. But mm-hmm. that was the year we did the um, 20th century, you know, which it was probably – at that time, probably one of the more disrespectful things the, <laughs> the program had did, you know, turn around to to fam side and play, you know, the March 100s fanfare. And then everybody just fall out of it, you know, glissando out of it and then play who run it walking back on the field. Like that was pretty exciting. It was my last mm-hmm. classic. That was a really good game. That was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the same thing. That was that was his last classic. That was my first classic. Wow. So for me, there were several reasons nice. why that was such a great moment. But mm-hmm. yeah, now nah, the energy in the stadium was unreal. And then running off the field like, yay, I did it. Right. You know, that's always <laughs> gratifying several reasons. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's I think you always know when you've done a good show. When yeah. when the Florida A and M people just come and say, "Yeah, that was good. That was," that was and they are very they are very never say die community. Like because it, it right. takes a lot for them to say that, 
Right. Exactly. And when they come in, that was one of those years where they say, you know, that was good. That was really good. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I see y'all, y'all three are super, super close. How, how do y'all build this relationship with only marching one year? I'll go first since I marched the least time with them. Well, one, I, I did march with Dexter. Yeah, like our age gap is pretty big. Yeah, it is. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> like Dexter's last year marching was my sophomore year of high school, I think. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and then I only marched one year mm-hmm. But to be honest, I mean, if you remember in 2012, when Mario put together the Midwest trip and all mm-hmm. four of us went, that was like my first time mm-hmm. really interacting with Dex much. And Mario just happened to get a job in town mm-hmm. where I was. So you know, while I was in school at Cook, maybe times he was like, hey, you trying to come up to the bar room and do this? You know, and he'd be like, you sure you bought this life? You know, and I'm like, hey, I think I want to be a band director. We'll see, you know. So and then from there, you know, when you're always sometimes when you're always in a room and you see the same people, you can't help but, you know, gravitate to those people, especially like minded individuals. So, yeah. you know, I, in my career, I've always kind of been the youngest out of a group of people. Like right now, I'm, I'm looking for young people to like join, you know, because I'm still the youngest and I'm like almost 30. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how that that kind of went about it. I guess for me, my 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 relationship between these two are a little different because uh, like like Wilson said, we didn't march together. But me and Mario, we marched three years together. And how long did we march three years together? We marched and did leadership duties together. You know, so so we were already we were growing as personal friends, but the professional side of it, uh, in my opinion, I didn't realize that we was growing that too, like literally at the same time. You know, from from something as simple as show planning to when he graduates, I've only been out two years and Mario ended up moving to high school before I did. So just the whole collaborative nature, you know, that, that those grew hand in hand. My thing with Wilson was that, yeah, we met in, uh, and, and I always talk about this story, we met at uh, Midwest, but I really got to know Wilson when he was getting ready to graduate. And, oh, the thing yeah. was, and the thing was, of all the, it was funny, you said like you're looking for young people because at the time, we was kind of filling that age gap too. You know, when I look at, uh, uh, shout out to Philip Edwards at uh, McNair High School, when I look at him, I was, I missed him by a year, but me and Jared Brown, that's at Miller Grove uh, High School, we marched together. So to me, those guys were my age, you know, and I felt like the guy was there. And then Wilson, he's, he say, hey, man, you know, I've seen him with, through the marching band and some trumpet stuff as, as an uh, alumni and all. But when he, when he just said, hey, I'm coming to Atlanta, I'm trying to hit some band rooms, man, you know, hey, you got a place for me to crash? He's the first person I've ever seen did that. And I, my first thought was like, bro, you going to spring your you gonna spend your whole spring break on the br- on on the grind, so you better than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but sure enough, to this day, that's what he did. He he spent time at at, at, uh, at my school. We was getting ready for evaluation and working with the kids, and then he went to a few other schools. And so I wasn't surprised to see how he grew. And so that was just a relationship that started professional and grew personal over the years. You know, and, and for that for that same reason, you see someone that's that's like minded, 
you see someone that that is like-minded outside of the band room, you know, and you and you see the things that they're doing. It's like you you can't help but root for people like that and just you know and, and support people like that and and have those type of people support you. So, uh, you know, it's not a lot of people that work in their field and say that the people that they work with are true are like truly their friends. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I I think including you, Doc. I think that goes. I think that goes without saying for all of us. So, all right. You got anything to add, Mario? They said it all. That, that's a, that's a lot of it. That's it. That's kind of, uh, <laughs> I was yeah, man, that Midwest trip was it, man. That, that, that was epic. Yeah, man. That was so fun and such. <laughs> and I was like, I, man. I said I never miss another Midwest. This section is called Beyond the Practice Room. It's something non-music related that I wanted to share. And of course today, I want to talk to you about the Tyson versus Roy Jones epic matchup. It was just so cool to see those two iconic boxers come together and put on a show for us. I was really upset because we know Tyson got robbed because he truly won that match. But of course we had to call it a draw because it was for the money and they could probably do the match again. So I'm super excited about this Legends League that Tyson has created and I'm ready to see that battle between him and Evander Holyfield next. I know you didn't think I was gonna not talk about the Nate Robinson fight. That was an epic failure. Nate Robinson really, really tried his best, but Jake Paul really knocked the mess out of him. And it was cool to see all the memes and everything. And of course, social media blew up you know, we now have this new slogan called Go Nate Nate instead of Night Night. So that was just hilarious. And hopefully Nate Robinson learned that he has to put in some more work before he can box again. Now, you guys hey. being graduates of the great Bethune-Cookman University, you can't, you-, mention, you can't mention that name without saying Donovan Wales. What kind of impact did he have as a band director uh, and a person on you on you guys? And we'll start with Mario. Oh, boy. Let's see. <laughs> Mr. Wells is one of those type of people who you don't completely understand the impact that he's made on you as a person or you as an educator until you've gotten out into the world, until you find yourselves using the, the Wells-isms and, and starting to, to really understand why he operates the way he does, why he operates the program the way he does, and those type of things. Like, sometimes you find yourself in a place of, well, I don't know what to do, and you ask yourself, well, what would Mr. Wells do here? You know, and then you would apply those things. I think over time, finding myself going from student to colleague and then to personal friend, that, that became a, a, just a more interesting dynamic um, when it came to, to Mr. Wells, I think that I, a lot of his business savvy, I applied to, you know, what I do in my program and just his, his being overall, like he's a, he's definitely a big part of how I do what I do, why I do, um, what I do nice. and probably unknowingly to him. Cause I don't, I don't think he, you know, wakes up and says, all right, I'm going to go out and you know, teach Mario how to do this thing. He just, he just does what he does, you know, and sometimes he'll ask you questions or sometimes, you know, you'll be on the inside, you'll be in the office while he does it. 
Um, and I think once he notices that you have an interest in moving to the next level and you, he sees that, you know, you're really going to commit to to music and music education. I think at that point, then he'll start to open that door more to you. You know, I think all of us can attest that when we were in school, there were always a handful of students who just seemed like they were a little more in the door, you know, or knew a little bit more about what was going on. And it's probably because Mr. Wells identified that, hey, these people are serious about, you know, about what they want to do and they want to go to the next level. So sometimes, whereas you may say, you know, all right, well, Mr. Wells, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to leave you get ready to exit the office. He may say, hey, wait right there. I want you to see this. And he'll show you something new or he'll show you a project that he's working on or something in that direction. So I, I think I can find, you know, a lot of little pieces of uh, Mr. Wells sprinkled throughout my career. His influence, they just pop up in different ways. It's not like it's a playlist to it. It just happens. I would say I would piggyback off what Mario said, like a lot of what Mr. Wells is, you become as a director. And one thing that I was marvel with, you know, just how our band program functioned from a structural level. Like I always said, I want my program to function that same way because, you know, all the T's are crossed and all the I's are dotted. Things are never really out of place. You know, we joke about it, you know, in the marching band around like we were always we weren't on time to places. We were like two, three hours early. And <laughs> we rushed to wait. <laughs> there it is. Rushed to wait. Uh, hurry, hurry up and wait. But don't you like, don't you like realize that that is genius? You get yes. there early. You mm-hmm. like, you just relax and you don't have nothing yeah. to worry exactly. about. Exactly. And the thing is, like, when it's time to get dressed or get off the bus, like, he'll have you thinking that we're about to perform right now. You know, right. like. <laughs> That sense of urgency, but things like that, you know, those are things that you don't get in a book, you know. So every time I go back to Bethune, I always tell the students, you know, there are a lot of little things that you are getting that you won't get many other places just from a management standpoint, how to run Mm -hmm. your program. And like Mario said, once Mr. Wells sees that you take interest, he's going to find ways to push you, challenge you. And, you know, question you, pick your brain. Um, hey, t- you know, tell me what you think about this, blah, 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 blah. I would say to this day, and I'm seven years removed from college, I would say he's had the biggest influence on how I approach being a band director by far. When it comes to when it comes to Mr. Wells and his influence, man, the, the first thing I think about is just being able to watch a CEO run a company like hands on. And even now, I, a lot of directors, uh, music educators, whatnot, I see a lot of people that are so passionate about the teaching aspect and not realizing that it's so much more that comes with that. And how do you prepare for that? Um, Wells definitely has had a big influence on me and how I operate. But one of the things that I like to share about him is that he, the conversations he likes to have with those students that show an interest behind closed doors. And of all of my professors, he is the single-handedly the most transparent one I've had in terms of things that he thinks I should consider doing, but also in terms of using himself as a non-example. Like, hey, this worked for me. 
and this didn't work out in my favor, you may not want to do this. You may want to consider or don't just think that. And it's something he says a lot, a lot with me. Don't just think that because it works here, you know, at 640 Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, that it's going to work where you at. The way he runs that business uh, of, of the program, uh, I think is unmatched in a lot of other collegiate programs. And if you look at, and I, I, I marvel at this all the time, if you look at the different band programs from the various uh, directors that have come from Wells, the band programs may be totally different in terms of what the students are doing, just the whole makeup and philosophy of the band. But the business side of it is usually the same. Operations? Like, yeah. without... Like without without a doubt, it doesn't matter what the performance platform is. It doesn't matter what ensemble it is. Usually, the movement, the logistics, the things that most that you don't learn about uh, with uh, until you get in the field and you have that experience. Most of us have that going into the field because of him. I have a personal relationship with him that developed from that from the from the business as well um when i was 19 because i was young when we had to do the uh ellen show and the thing that intrigued me about the ellen show was that i had never been anywhere west of the mississippi but they called us and in less than 24 hours we was gone i think the thing that intrigued me was that how we left and how we got there like it just seemed like all the ducks was in a row for something like that to happen and when you're in a small group like that you get to ask questions and so I took that opportunity to ask some question. Like, you, so we just got a call and we just jumped into a five star hotel and performed on the nationally syndicated television <laughs> show. And we was and we was ready to do that. Like, tell me about that. Like, how does that how does that work? And you'd be surprised at what he's willing to share with you. I you think know, that's I think some of that. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but as you say that, I think some of that is just woven into the cu- the culture of the program. Like, if you treat every mm-hmm. performance like it's Ellen. Like if you treat your your Saturday afternoon football game like you're performing on a nationally televised show, you know what I mean? If you treat the preparation for that the same all the time, that's one of those things that you get from Wells. You know, like I remember he used to say, uh, you swat a fly with a sledgehammer, you know, like don't shortcut it because of the size of the object or the size of the performance or the, you know, the the quality has to be the same. Like you got to go at it. 100% 100% every yeah. time, regardless of what it is. And and that's how, as you say that, that's how you can pick up and move in 24 hours and, yeah. and nothing changes because the performance didn't change. The, the level of performance didn't change. Mm. Didn't change. Right? What he asked you to do didn't change. It's just where yeah. you're doing it at. You know, that's what changed. But you guys were going to do the same thing that you would have did out at the beach. This is going to be yeah, the same. At, it's the same thing. <laughs> I can remember early in my career, you know, I have a lot of band director mentors and a lot of times they come to me with these nuggets, you know, and tips like, hey, you don't get this in the books. You don't get this in school, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times it was stuff I already knew because I got it from from Bethune or, or from watching how uh, Welsh runs the program. So, I mean, it's, it's really, really efficient. Like Mario said, if the standards are always high. And the approach never changes. You get a lot accomplished. I guess that means it's time to go ban. This segment talks about something I'm listening to that you should check out or something exceptional happening in the band world. 
Today I want to talk to you about Kalijah Dunton. He's a young composer from New York and he's doing some really, really, really great things. I would like you to check out his piece, Stillwater, which was premiered by the Brooklyn Wind Symphony. It's this beautiful lyrical grade three work that you and your students will really, really love. By the way, get it on your state list. Check it out and get it on. Kalijah says this about the work. We as people forget sometimes that we are so much more deep and fast beneath our hard surfaces. We work, we go to school, we take care of our families, we deal with the struggles of day-to-day -day routine militantly. But if we take a moment to listen within ourselves, we discover our passions, our longings, and our sense of belongings. You will really enjoy this work. Again, that piece is Stillwater by Kalijah Dutton. And you can find Kalijah at Kalijah.com, K-E-L-I-J-A-H.com. If you have a Go Band you'd like me to shout out, tag Bandroom Tales on Twitter or email me at bandroomtales at gmail.com. So we're going to go back and we'll talk about uh, your musical upbringing and how did your middle school, high school band experience impact the, the, the director you became? Like Mario, being being in and from Savannah, how did that affect you as a director today? Oh, man. So, so here's a little known Mario Ford fact. So Mario Ford, band director was actually kicked out of band twice in fifth grade. Oh, no. <laughs> that is a true story. That happened. I got kicked out, and then my mom talked to my band director. I'm not going to tell you who my band director was, just in case she listens to the podcast. But anyway, I was removed, and then my mom went and talked to her. We had a whole conference and all this good stuff, and I was let back in, and then I got put out of Again, that that was a thing of, you know, understanding consequences for your actions. And I don't think it, this was one of those times where I wasn't the one talking. He was talking. But then, you know, I had to learn, OK, just don't say anything at all. Don't respond. You know, um, that was fifth grade. So I had to wait until sixth grade to get in band. And um, my sixth my sixth grade experience in beginning band was great. And I was, you know, I loved my band director. Um he, and he introduced me to saxophone. Um, I was in beginning band for like two weeks or something like that. And then I got moved up to the next group. And so that was great. And then he left. And then I was heartbroken. I was like, oh, man, this is this is terrible. Because the next director, he just wasn't as enthusiastic about music. And, you know, I went to middle school in a pretty rough area. And middle school experience was a little underwhelming at best. Um, when I went to high school, I actually had no intention of being in band in high school. I was on the way to football practice. It was in the summer. On the way to football practice. And then guys in the hallway and said, hey, where are you going, man? I said, I'm going down to the gym. He was like, oh, uh, what instrument do you play? And I was like, oh, saxophone. Not thinking. I didn't tell you that I play an instrument. Right? And then he was like, oh, man, why don't you come join the band? I was like, because I play football. That's why I'm not going to join the band. And he probably get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going to tell you what he said. He said, well, look, man, you can go join the football. I mean, you can go play football where you're probably going to lose, or you can come join the band 
where you'll always win and we have girls. Case closed. I joined the band that day. And that guy walking down the hallway was James Thompson Jr. <laughs> that is how I joined his band program at Johnson High School in Savannah, Georgia. I, I remember getting down there. I said, well, I don't have an instrument. He said, don't worry about it. I got an instrument for you. Boom. Gave me an instrument right there, you know. And I got home and my mom was like, well, how's football practice? And I'm standing there with a saxophone. Like, well, I joined the band. So that, you know. But uh, I think uh, James Thompson definitely had a huge influence on me um, and, and just he just introduced me to so much as far as music goes and, and letting me know that, you know, music and band was OK. Again, like, I didn't come you know, from the best areas and you have to that battle of, you know, teenage social hierarchy and what's cool and what's not cool and that kind of stuff. So there was always that. James Thompson was the guy who, you know, if I left my instrument at school, he would bring it to my house. Not because I asked him to. He's like, well, how are you going to practice if you left it at school? And I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? You know, this is me as a, you know, freshman, sophomore in, in high school. He was also the guy when, uh, you know, I, I didn't like getting up for school in the morning. And so after I had gotten so many tardies, you know, at school, he said, hey, we're going to do something about this he would pull up to my house on his way to school in the morning. You know, I didn't live too far from school. He would come and make me ride with him to school every morning to ensure that I got to school on time. Um, James Thompson took me to my first Midwest conference when I was a senior in high school. He always wanted to push me to do more, to, to play more, to try more. He was the one that helped set up my audition with, with Bethune. It felt like I'm forever in debt to him for the sacrifices he made out of his personal time, you know, to try to give me a better opportunity. And so I use that when I go into my classroom. So maybe I can be the James Thompson for one of my students, you know, and help kind of figure that thing out and whatever I can provide for them or whatever they need. I'm okay with a kid saying, hey, I need a ride home. The only way I can come to rehearsal is if I get a ride home. That's fine. Cause I'd rather you be at rehearsal. Yes. You know, like me going a few minutes out of my way to take you home means absolutely nothing. So I, I completely understand that, but I grew up into that. He used to drive me to summer camps every summer and all of that, all of that stuff that you would figure out from within the household. You know, my mom worked two, three jobs or whatever the case. And, you know, that whole thing didn't matter. Thompson was there making it happen. You know, call me on Saturday morning. What are you doing? Nothing. OK, I'm going to the band room. Meet me there. Okay, I'm gonna get up and go do that. That that's how my upbringing was. <laughs> it was very aggressive band, you know. Be better at band. The best kind of band director. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dex. I think I, I was exposed to music and just a love for music in so many different ways, and a lot of those ways still are kind of evident in how I am as a director now. Man, I took piano lessons since I was like four years old, I hated it. And so, and I hated it because looking back on it, you know, when you start piano lessons or you start in the beginning book, in most cases, just about everything that you're playing is a major tonality. And to me, my preference is not listening to triads all day. And so it just didn't really grab my ears, but my parents were huge 
Earth, Wind, and Fire fans, Frank and Beverly and Maze fans, music in the house on the weekends, music when we on the road, and like just those kind of sounds. I just like to hear the sound, but I ain't really like playing piano. My and I guess I'm showing my age again. When I was coming up, they were still filtering in middle school. So prior to like my uh, until I got to like seventh grade, there was no middle schools in in the metro area. It was elementary. Uh, K through seven, and then high school was eight through 12. At my elementary school, I had one band I rented in sixth grade. I had a different guy that floated in seventh grade. I went to middle school for one year because they were transitioning in eighth grade. All three of those experiences were horrible. And then I met Mr. Moore. So I never really had a, a, a consistent director until I got to high school. My initial instrument for band was trombone. And I was cool in the Standard of Excellence book when we played D. But when we went to C, and he went why I kept pulling my horn to the side, bro was like, you need to get drunk because the horn was too long. I'm only five seven now. So in sixth grade, imagine me trying to play sixth position. It was awful. But trumpet was cool. And so I went to that. So I always had like this, this love this little secret relationship with trombone. I just, I, I just, I just love the sound of bone anyway. <laughs> but, but because that was my first pick and trumpet just was, was what worked for me. When I got to my eighth grade year, I was what most typical eighth graders are doing. You're trying to fit in, being a follower. I got in some trouble and I got in some trouble with uh, a buddy of mine that wasn't doing nothing with himself. And I'm just trying to fit in at this new school. But the reason I talk about it is because that day was the day of the uh, visit from Redan to the middle school, and I missed the band performance. And my middle school band director, Mr. Nash, at the time, introduced me to Mr. Moore about joining the band, but I had missed the deadline to join as an eighth grader. I don't know if the Cavs still do this, but they just had an activity bus, you know, bring you over to the school. If you use eighth grade, sports, band, whatever, you participate in eighth grade. So when I got to Redan, I was okay on trumpet. I wasn't serious about music until I seen how Moore did it. And during that time, Redan was a huge comprehensive program. We weren't playing on major stages or anything like that, but everything that I've done in my career, I did it first at Redan. I took my first theory course at Redan. I played my first jazz ensemble at Redan. I wrote my first arrangement there. You know, I, I, I played in multiple groups, played multiple... All the stuff that really made me want to say, I want to do this for a living, it happened at that high school and it happened because of Mr. Moore. Because Moore was so passionate about what he did. This dude could be in the hallway. And if you've ever seen Moore, Moore is a former drum agent for Morris Brown. Tall, smooth-looking brother. And he get that flute out and stands in the middle of the hallway and just plays whatever on flute, no matter what kid was passing by. But he always had a kid that would come to him and just ask him about joining the band. He never said much to anybody. It was just watching him enjoy the music making process and the seriousness of it. It was like, this dude is tight. And he rubbed off on me with, with that. And so uh, trumpet was my thing, but theory is what kind of drove me to want to do music education. It was his theory class that started me out as an arranger. And so uh and so my track through music, if you will, I love playing trumpet, but my relationship with playing the piano is totally different than playing the trumpet. Because to me, trumpet is an instrument I truly have to practice for. 
You know, it's, it's almost like you're saying between talents and gifts. I think my talent is playing trumpet. My, my gift has always been what I hear and what I do at the piano. It's just two totally different approaches for me. And that kind of drove me through uh, high school. And that was really my ultimate reason of teaching. I seen a brother that looked like me, that was that was making a difference, and really DeKalb County. Because DeKalb County at the time, and I'll tell this to anybody, that was the golden era of band for a kid that looked like me. Because it wasn't just marching band. You seen the same excitement at Dishagana Band, Allstate, jazz band competition, solo ensemble, LGPE, what they call festival at the time, as you seen on a Friday night in the fifth quarter, and you seen a bunch of kids that looked like you in your neighborhood, and band was cool. So it was cool to be at the bus stop. You know, you, you get on your kids by sitting on your case, but you was cool if you was here and you were sitting on your saxophone case waiting on the bus. You was cool. Like that, that's, and so when I hear people talk about, you know, the band kids were lame, I was like, now where I'm from, we were the coolest cats on the block because everybody did it. And so those kind of things coupled together is really what made me go to school because I wasn't thinking about that stuff until Cookman came here. And I wasn't thinking about that stuff until I bet my uh, Mr. Moore pushed us and made us audition for every school that came to visit our high school, not realizing that he had relationships with all these directors. And he was going to make sure that we went somewhere. It just so happened that the, re- the relationship seemed the most uh, genuine when I auditioned for Kugner. And, uh, and then that kind, of, that kind of growth continued and my love for teaching continued then. So I've always loved playing the horn, but it's just the, the experiences I've had with seeing what music can do for people like me. You know, or what people yeah. can do, you know what I mean? And, and being and kind of like what Mario said, being in a position now where I truly feel like I do that for other kids. Um, you asked about a journey and I don't think none of our journey is over. That's kind of the seal. It's still the same thing. You know, what can what what can I do if I level up and can I get this back to my students in terms of musical growth and passion? And so um that was kind of my upbringing. I've always had an interest in how music works. I've always had an interest in scores. Always had an interest in scores and the science behind it. Um, and it just kind of grew through my experiences with high school, college, um, grad school, and just seeing what you guys are doing and being in the field myself. All right. That's, that's great. And Wilson? My journey started in New York, where I am from. No. Nah. Um, I joined band in fourth grade, and when I was in third grade, I saw my sister join uh, when she was in fourth grade. Uh, she started on clarinet. She actually ended up quitting, and I just remember thinking, what a stupid thing to do. You're given the opportunity to play an instrument. Why would you quit? So the next year, she joined back again, and she, uh, she got off flute. Thinking back to second grade, I remember second grade, we would have a music teacher come in and but I remember one day she did like a whole lesson on Louis Armstrong. And I just remember thinking he was so cool. So like, I was like, yo, if I ever get the chance to do band, like I'm going to play trumpet. And that's that. Can't nobody tell me nothing else. So fourth grade band, I joined. I got the chance to play trumpet. So, you know, that was cool. One time we did, it was concert day and we did two different concerts. We actually did a midday concert and then we did an evening concert. The midday concert was for our the rest of the fourth grade and fifth grade classes. So we're doing our warm up. 
Uh, and, you know, before we played our pieces, Mr. Diamond addresses the crowd, says, you know, this is the band, blah, blah, blah. These are some stuff that we do in class. And he took maybe like one or two exercises. And he's like, now I'm going to have one of our students come up and take us through this blah, 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 blah. He's like, Wilson, come on up. I was like, oh, okay. So I get up there. I take, this is me in fourth grade. Um, and I take us through a couple warm-ups. I didn't think much of it. I went back to my seat. We did the concert. Years down the line, when I first you know, thought about that memory, I, I just remember being so comfortable in front of an audience, in front of my band, in an unplanned situation. Like, I just remember I wasn't a nervous and it was just like, it just felt so natural. So we moved to Florida. I go to Robinswood Middle School, director, uh, Bernie Hendricks. And, you know, I was I was the bougie New York kid. I came to, I went to Hiawassee Elementary. I was like, y'all don't have band? What is, did, what did, is this? How y'all don't did have- you say was, was the bougie New York kid? I was, yes. Yes, I've grown. <laughs> I remember Robinswood came, the band came to the elementary school, did a uh, presentation. I remember seeing uh, Mr. Hendricks. I already knew him because my sister was in band in middle school. So sixth grade, I joined. And I would say that experience probably set the tone for the rest of my musical career. Because the way Mr. Hendricks did things, he held us to such high standards and we didn't know any better. Like We didn't know what we didn't know. I remember in seventh grade, Mr. Hendricks was like out of town or something and we had a band director come in as uh, a sub or maybe a musician, I don't remember. But he knew music, I remember that much. In seventh grade, and you know he was going through the notes Mr. Hendricks left for us to do and we ran like eight major scales. And he was like, you know, you guys don't realize there are some high schools that would struggle with this. We're like, what? Shut up. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, so, and by the time we get to eighth grade, our final exam was playing 12 major scales. Now this is Robinswood Middle School in Pine Hills (laughs) in Orlando. Low socioeconomic, high crime. Uh, You know, Mario shaking his head. He knows because he worked there now. The (laughs) hood. That didn't stop Mr. Hendricks from having over 100 kids go to solo and ensemble every year. Solo and ensemble was the Super Bowl for us. Like, oh, I'm ready for next year. We're going to get our quartet. Bro, we're going to get this. You know, I'm going to get my solo. Like, that was like, you know, life for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And just playing the instrument, being in the band, we never liked to go home. Like when, when we didn't have band practice, we were like upset. We we're like, what you mean we don't got practice? Like, so me and my friends, we used to just be outside by the gym. We get our instruments out and we just start playing. And we'd have jam sessions. Like somebody just play a lick and somebody would play it back there. We'd just jam for like hours. It got to the point to where, you know, admin would tell us, hey, I gotta go home, this is that. So we would just go out to the track and do the same thing. <laughs> and I think all band students can attest to this. It was really that safe space. Um, even if we weren't in the band room, we were doing something that had to do with band. So I would say my middle school experience did a lot for shaping my love for the craft, but I still didn't think I would ever be a band director. Go to Evans High School, had two different band directors, Melvin Wright, uh, Marcus Collins. Um, even throughout high school, my goal was to be a sports journalist. I was like, I'm going to be on ESPN one day. I was studying stats, watching games. This is this, and that. It wasn't until my 11th grade year 
And I'm talking to folk and they're like, you know, why don't you major in music? You arrange songs. Obviously, you're good at your instrument. This, this, this. Now, I was like, well, I mean, teachers don't really make money. So, but then I had, I think it was after the Florida Classic 2007. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to be a band director. I think this is, that's when I started really looking back. Like, hey, in fourth grade, this happened. In middle school, this happened. Uh, there was a day in eighth grade where Mr. Hendrix was on again. And we had a non-musical sub. So in eighth grade, I ran class when, you know, Mr. Hendrix wasn't there. So I'm just thinking, I'm like, you know what? There's been a lot of foreshadowing for being a band director in my life. So maybe this is the right direction. And then from there on, you know, the rest is history. That's awesome. I, I still remember first year teacher me walking into Bernie's classroom and it's like a hundred people uh, in, in the band class and making this beautiful music. And there were like a, a bunch of kids in the back that weren't playing anymore. He'd make this beautiful music and just like, shut up. And just, just getting on them. And it was just, <laughs> I got a story. I remember one time you came and you were speaking to us and I don't, I'm not sure if you were, but it seemed like you were nervous to us while you were speaking. And instead of tuba, you said tuber. So from then on out, every time we saw you, we we're like, Hey, that's the tuber guy. Good times. <laughs> Young Jack. Yes, I, I, still, I still say tuber. So. Tuber. <laughs> It's all right. So, <laughs> well, it's story time. In this segment, we'll talk about some of the most interesting and crazy stories that has happened to me in my career. From fitting too many people in my car to having my band students perform a football game after a football game, you don't want to miss this segment. So, at Stevenson, um, we would do performances for the elementary school and the middle school. And every time we did so, we would do a parade. We would march down to the school playing and whatnot. So it's a Friday and we're getting ready to perform for one of the elementary schools. We, we got the students set up in the block, you know, and then it starts sprinkling. And we're like, oh man, it's about to rain. So then it starts like hard down raining. So we're like, students come inside. And then uh, Goins looks at me, he's like, wait, was today the day we were supposed to perform for the elementary? And I'm like, I think so, was it? Oh, man. We were like, well, we can't do it now because it's raining. Turns out the performance was next week. We had the kids. <laughs> we, had the guy, we had the got the kids out of class, dressed up, getting ready to perform. And I, I, to this day, I feel like it was an act of God. God saved us. Because we were really about to march the marching band down to the elementary school a week early. So the rain <laughs> saved <laughs> That's my funny story. It was... Oh, wow. The timing was, was perfect. <laughs> so this is... I, I was at Olympia High School. I'm associate director at Olympia, and we were doing marching band. And we were out on the field. Um, and so the kids are you know, in in whatever set they're in. And I'm walking by and this one kid's whispering to me because he's at attention, you know, he's like, Mr. Ford, Mr. Ford. And I'm like, what? You know, you phoning him kid. I'm like, what? what is wrong? Why are you calling me, you know? And he's like, uh, can you come here, please? Okay, whole band's at attention, you know? So I walk over, yes, how can I help? He's like, uh, I think I have skin cancer. 
I was like, what? <laughs> what? And he was like, I think I have skin cancer. I said, you think you have sunburn? He was like, no, skin cancer. And like, we're on the field whispering. Bill is up on the box <laughs> giving instructions, right? You know, they clean and drill and stuff. And so me and him just having this conversation. And he's like, nope, you know, my Grammy, she had she had skin cancer. And I, I think it was, it's like this. It's, I'm, I think this is what it is. I said, you, you just figured this out just now? He's like, yep. I said, okay. So I, I walk him over to uh, one of the parents. No, first I, th- I think I told him, I said, okay, well, let me walk over here. And then we'll come back, we'll see if you feel any better. Normally, if you leave a kid alone long enough, they forget about whatever issue they had, right? I text Bill, Bill's on the box, giving instructions, he's on the mic. First thing I text, don't laugh. Dot, 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 dot. You know, Jimmy says he thinks he has skin cancer. What does Bill do? Break out laughing through the microphone, <laughs> right? I was like, oh my God, dude, I said don't laugh, you know. But I ended up taking him to one of the moms and I was like, hey, Jimmy says that he thinks he has skin cancer. And she just looked at me like this death stare, like what? All right, see you guys later. I gotta go back on the field. <laughs> I left him over there with the mom. That was, that was a funny Olympia high school moment. Oh man. If you have your own crazy story you'd like to share, tag us on Twitter or Facebook at Bandroom Tales, or you can email us at bandroomtales at gmail.com. So we, we're going to push forward and talk about the, the culture of your programs. If you could just, just give a little quick snippet of... What what it was like walking into your your band room? You you got the job. It's the first day. What was it like? My first day. My hiring was kind of controversial. My first day was just coming in. There were a lot of students. The standard for conduct and musicianship wasn't the highest. I had to be real strategic about how to get the program in the right direction that I'd like it to go in. Um, I had to think about how I wanted to win the students over. When I first got there, it was, uh, it was just a lot of kids and not a lot of organization. That's why I had to tap into stuff I learned at Bethune-Cookman to try to take with me to the program. You said yours was controversial, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. Your, 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 yours kind of ties in together because you were. Mine ties in together. Because I, I was the assistant director first, and I was transferred to the high school. And so, so I didn't walk in blind. Some people would say that that is a good thing. In this situation, I think it was actually a bad thing because I knew exactly what was going wrong. And the one positive that I, I took from it was the fact that there was never a question that the kids and that the community wanted a successful program the question was what's the best way to get that it was frustrating walking in because on one hand you're coming in and your position is shifting because you were already there 
So some of the reason that the program is going where it's going, you were there with it. So do people have the, the, the faith to say, hey, well, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like coaches, you know, NFL coaches. You have assistant coach and head coach gets fired and then the assistant moves in and they do a good job. But at the same time, you some people in that front office may not have the confidence in assistant coach because you was under that regime prior to you taking over. I kind of walked into that. My the, the culture issue was just hard work. And it, it was that the, I think our kids, I think our kids are like that, but I think my kids in general are huge microwave society kids. Like I want the success, but I don't necessarily want to do the work for it. And so my whole drive of changing the culture, uh, I, I speak two phrases, poco a poco. And I always ask the kids, you know, how do we eat an elephant? And they know the response, you know, piece by piece, one bite at a time. Because the biggest issue we've always had that changed the culture of our program is that you know what it takes to get there, but you don't want to do the work to get there. And, they know, and there's no shortcut to get in there but to do the work. So that was the cultural thing for me. I saw it. I was aware of the cultural changes. And I had an impact in changing the culture in the middle school first. And, and then we just went over to the high school. That was just my thing. You want, you want the results. You look at these other bands, but... Are you really willing to do the work? And can I give you a model on what it looks like to do that work and what true progress really is? What does real practicing look like uh, for a student? And then you can see real results and enjoy your success. So that was the biggest thing with, I guess you could say, fine, trying to put uh, my stamp on the, the idea of how we move in our program. You got to keep swinging. You got to keep swinging at the, at the tree piece by piece, one bite at a time. And Mario? Here we go. Uh, 2017, that's where I started at Evans. So the first three days of band camp, we spent inside because the students couldn't read the, the drill music. So we spent those first three, all eight hours inside. I'm at the, at the board. We doing no ID, we we clapping, counting rhythms the whole nine yards. First day of school, I, I remember just going in the music library and just grabbing the first thing. And I, I believe it was like lyric overture or something like that. Like I grabbed the first <laughs> piece of music I saw and I just start passing it out to my symphonic band class. Like, all right, we're just gonna sight read. We're just gonna go through and I just wanna see where we are. And I had a trombone kid, he raised his hand, he said, Mr. Ford this is concert music. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know. This is symphonic band class, you know? And he said, well, it's not concert season. Oh. <laughs> so when you, you, when you talk about culture of program, this is the program that I walked into, you know? My, my relationship with the Evans High School Band Program has always been interesting. Um, my first teaching job was at Meadowbrook Middle School, which feeds into Evans. And so... My first year, maybe year and a half, I was the assistant director at Evans, you know, and so I, I had some inside knowledge about how that program worked. And then to circle back six, seven years later, and the program was really a lot of the same, you know, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on musicianship, very, uh, very proud group, a lot of energy. They're what I would call like a Friday night band. You know, like uh, the community loved them. 
and that kind of stuff. Very high energy halftime shows, dance routines, the whole nine yard, uh, traditional high step and marching band. And, you know, people loved them. People loved the kids. And so here I come in on my high horse, you know, trying to get them to sight read. And they're like, no, it's not what we do. It's not, it's not how this works. You know, tuning, what is that? We don't, that's not what we do. Like, you know, and so the immediate things for me culturally that I wanted to change about the program was for them to have more interest and enthusiasm about being well-rounded musicians. You know, and I'm telling them, hey, you can have all that other stuff and play well. Like, people will still love you if we play well. You know, so there was a, it was a lot of that. And I think now, you know, when we talk about identifying the culture of the program, musicianship is top of the list, you know, for so many years and outside looking in, you know, for so many years, the Evans High School Band Program was not respected as a musical group, you know, on, on any stage, marching band, concert band, solo ensemble, any of that. It, it just wasn't, it wasn't. And so I think, Having been being in the county for, you know, since the start of my career and watching it from the outside on day one, when I stepped foot on campus, that was my number one goal is we will be respected as musicians in this ensemble. And so that was that was my big cultural goal is how do I, you know, how do I get these students to be interested in being more musical and and having an appreciation for music and music education and not just showing up for band to have fun on Friday nights. Anything y'all want to plug? Your arrangements, drill writing, anything you want to to plug? Wilson. Please uh, be sure to tune in on Saturday, January 23rd. Um, at 7 p.m. UGA's Jan Fest, uh, we were selected to perform this year. Obviously, we won't be performing in person, um, but we will be putting together a recorded video. Hopefully, everything goes smoothly from now until then. Uh, if not, regardless, put together something that so people can see, you know, what the class of 2021 is about and what they've put together. And also in the beginning of February. Same thing for Troy University Southeast United States Honor Band Clinic. So um, just follow Dutchtown High School Bands on IG and you'll get, you know, everything you need to get. And I'll go Lakers. And go Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) And he's from New York. (laughs) Ain't that something? (laughs) All right, Mario. Oh, man. Um, I have any plugs for the ensemble right now, but I do want to shout out uh, Joseph McMullen and the HACO Music Foundation here in Orlando. For the fourth consecutive year, Evans High School is a HACO school. Um, And this year we are working with Jeff Rupert. He's the director of jazz studies at uh, UCF with the Flying Horse uh, Jazz Band. And um, we've worked with Dr. Otto Gomez in the past as well, all sponsored through Hapco Music Foundation. So big shout out to them and all the great things that they do for Evans High School in the band program. All right, and Dex? Definitely follow uh, follow follow my program and follow what the kids are doing on all social media platforms uh, at Creekside Bands. If you're on Twitter, at Creekside HS Band. Uh, so you just kind of see what we got going on. 
you can definitely follow me at Symphonic Sounds for arrangements. S Y M F O N I K S O U N D Z for your arrangements. I really like to uh, pride myself on writing arrangements for your ensemble, no matter the voice, at a reasonable price and uh, give that to our community, our music community. And, uh, and just shout out to our partners with, with Creekside Nouveau Bar and Grill, uh, definitely Harmon Brothers, uh, Motor Coaches, as well as uh, La, uh, La Azteca Restaurant and Chick-fil-A. And, uh, and shout out to you guys. If, if you could describe the culture of your band program in three words, what would it be? All right. So I done sat here and wrote down like nine words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, that, I mean, because you're always going to leave out a really good word, but I think my spirit is, is, is resonating on these three. I would say musicianship, focus, and reflectiveness. But perseverance uh, is... That's the, three Wilson, three. Yeah, that's that's next in line. But <laughs> and why do, why those three? Because well, musicianship. I think we use what we do through music as our vehicle for bettering ourselves in life. In our lives, most of my students won't go on to major in music and be professional musicians. But I drive really, really high standards through music to teach them about you know everything else that they, they'll need to equip themselves to go forward in their lives. So I always tell students, you know, and I got this from my former colleague, Quinn Goins, who's the head director at Stevenson. He always said, the biggest compliment that I can give to you is to, is to hold you to a high standard. He said, the second mm. I stop holding you to a high standard, that means I no longer care. Mm. Yeah. So I, tell, I, tell, I tell the students that all the time, I was like, I, I promise you, I'm not doing this to get on your nerves. <laughs> you know, there's something I'm trying to get out of you. So the, the, the music is the vehicle that I use to drive home those points because it's so easy to do in marching band, concert band, jazz band. Uh, focus, because I really challenge the students to think a lot. I challenge them to think a lot. There are times um, where I'm, I'm just not going to give the, the answer. I want you to develop an approach to things. I often tell the students, I'm not judging the product right now, what's coming out of your instrument. I said, I don't do that until within a month of a concert or, or whatever. I said, right now I'm judging your approach. I'm judging your problem solving skills. I'm, I'm judging what, you know, your process per se. Um, so I, I just use the word focus, but we, we, we talk a lot about thinking and, and things along the lines of that. And reflectiveness, our ability to reflect on um, what we've done, how far we've come. I think it's important to always talk about those things and to be very candid um, about those things, even in situations where we've done well, situations where we haven't done well. I always tell the students, and I mean it genuinely when I tell them, uh, if we're going to an evaluation or whatnot, I, I appreciate the judges but nothing about their role is going to drive what we do or influence what we do. You know, I always cringe when 
you know, and with all due respect to all directors, when I'm in front of their groups and they say, you got to do this because the judges are going to, well, a judge is going to think this. A judge, uh, I don't, we're here to make music, dog. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. let's yeah. reflect on what we do. The judges are there to help us get better. In some cases, they will. In some cases, they won't. But at the end of the day, we have the power to impact people through what we do, through our hard work. And I tell the students, that's the most important thing about what you do. I said, when we perform, there's going to be at least one person in that audience. There's going to be several, but there's going to be at least one person in the audience in which that's the only time they're ever going to see you. That's, this is a Mr. Wells thing that I'm, that mm-hmm. I'm saying right now. But there's going, to be some, there's going to be people, that's the only time they're ever going to see you. So try to make it a memorable aesthetic experience. Those are my words. All right, Dex. Uh, my three words. Discipline. Passion and authenticity. I think those are the three words that I said on that to describe my program. Discipline is just that, you know, sometimes, uh, and, and that, that could be a, a cookman stigma, but everybody talks about the band's discipline. But, you know, we use that term and we think that it means proper behavior for a given, you know, context. But discipline is just that it could be discipline in your daily behavior towards your instrument, being disciplined in your rehearsal time, you know, being being disciplined as a good bandsman, as a student, not just, you know, moving together, saying the same things together, you know, looking sharp together, just being able to have discipline in your own uh, space and your you understanding that you have to be disciplined in your own work as a piece of the larger puzzle. You know, without you, then we don't have a picture here, you know, and everybody has kind of kind of what Mario was saying. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle. Passion, have just having a love for what you do. You can't just music is a beautiful thing. You know, you can't prepare music without the beauty of it. You can't prepare music and, and play at a high level if you're not into the music and you're not emotionally connected. I, I, I really believe that. And then the last one for me is just authenticity. Uh, man, keep it a book. I always tell my students that I even said to the parent, keep it a book. You know, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you know, you, you, we, we have an open door policy with how we talk about things, whether it's music or non-music related, but you got to keep it real. You got to keep it a hundred, a uh, hundred with everything we do. We try to do things from an authentic state whether it's performing, whether it's, you know, doing whatever we need to do as a program. We just want it to be real and genuine. So those are my three. Discipline, passion, and authenticity. Every time Dex speaks, I hear a Hammond B3 organ in the background playing behind him. <laughs> Deke, okay, Deke, going Grease. All right, my bad, Mario. Go ahead. How you good, man? So my first word was going to be musicianship because that just that's always one that's ingrained in me. But I, I changed it, and I want my first word to be art. I taught my kids a lot about respecting what we do as an art form, the same way how we look at. Uh, painting, dance, theater, sculpting, anything in that direction. Like what we do is still an art form. Like we're still here to create art at the end of the day, regardless of the ensemble and the stage, marching band, concert band, doesn't make a difference, jazz band, it's still art. 
And I, I try to make sure that I approach it in that way all the time. I think trying to get the kids to be more delicate and more sensitive to the music that we perform and even the music that we listen to and understand it and respect it as an art form versus just music. So that that's a big one for me. My second one would be uh, character. I'm all about the person that you are and the person that you develop into, you know, while being a part of my program. I think that character development is deeply woven into my program. Like everything we do questions who you are as a person, why you do what you do, why you said what you said. And I'll ask the kids, hey, why'd you do that? And they'll say, I don't know. So then why'd you do it? I don't know. You know, you see this like little enlightenment going on. Like, you know what? You're right. I don't know why. That wasn't even a good idea. He's just like, yeah, see, kids do dumb stuff. But so my, my, my second one would be character. And then my third one would be service. In my program, we're really big about, you know, well, what can you do to make this better? When we have our leadership interviews, I always ask the kid, because, you know, being a part of the leadership team is a really big thing. And so my first question is, what have you done to make the program better? Like, How have you been of service to the people in the program, the program itself? So that that's it in a, a, a micro, in the macro is what do we do as a program to be of service to the community or to the school or to, you know, I, I think that's just a big thing. Um, is understanding our roles, how we can be of service to somebody else, the people around us, um, the world around us. And I think it's just a big thing. And I think that's something that can start, you know, with within the band program. I, I work with the Orange County Office of Elections, Supervisor of Elections Office for um, Election Day and, and all that good stuff. And I tell the kids about it and they'll ask me, well, why do you do that? I think this is a service to you know, to the political process. I think it's important, you know, and so things like that, you just bring that back into your program. Um, So those would be my three words, art, character, and service. Well, good. Um, And I wanted to share my three words. My three words would be musicianship, love, and discovery. And so musicianship for all, all the obvious reasons and Mm -hmm. love, Love because I truly believe in the f- uh, the family aspect of band, and I believe that the discipline and structure and understanding of each other and where we come from all that falls in line with you loving each other um, and and loving the program and then discovery. I want my program to be something that shows them more than what they could possibly have in life. Knowing that you can take a trip and get away from your street corner. Or I used to love how we went to FSU every year and these the freshmen would be like, oh, those are cows. Um, and so you know, <laughs> they'd never seen real life cows. And just, you know, being able to discover new new things in life. So I think that would be my three musicianship, love, and discovery. Thanks for listening to part one. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tales from the Band Room. Check us out on all social media at Band Room Tales, or you can email your comments or questions to bandroomtales at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe to our daddy's podcast and leave a review. You can find out more about this podcast at talesfromthebandroom.com. 
Music by my Phi Beta Sigma line brother, Jason, Classic Beats Menace. Go Mob! These episodes are edited by Michael Tabone and Adam Siegelman. Thanks for listening. Make it a great day or not. The choice is yours.